Hey gang, it's John. Thanks for listening. We at The Hustle, we're trying to tell the stories that don't get told as often of excellent artists who put out some great music and maybe it's been a while since you thought of them or heard them or they haven't really been on the radar for a while. And we want to track those people down, let them know they're loved, hear their stories about what it took to build their careers, their stories of meeting other people that, who inspired them, what they do now, how they pay their bills, and hopefully turn you guys on to some great music. Now, having said all that, this week's guest is one of the less obscure people that I've talked to for this podcast. It's Eric Bazilian, who was the lead singer of the Hooters. Now, the Hooters were a pretty steady band in the mid to late 80s. They put out three albums between 85 and 90, all sold pretty well. There was, you know, sort of a drop off in numbers, but the band had three top 40 hits. You probably still hear one or two of them today. They had a few others that barely missed, but eventually it kind of started to dry up in the States. And we talk about here uh, that they they have maintained an, an audience all this time in Europe, specifically Sweden, of all places. So while we may have been less familiar with what the Hooters have been doing since 1990, they're not necessarily going strong, but they're still on the radar in other parts of the world. I thought that was really interesting. Eric himself has a very interesting story. He and his musical partner, Rob Hyman, they are the two kind of main guys in the Hooters. They were Cyndi Lauper's backing band on her debut album, She's So Unusual. That's Eric and Rob, Eric specifically, playing on songs like Girls Just Wanna Have Fun. That's kind of how they got their start. After that, in the 90s, Eric is the man who wrote One of Us, which is by Joan Osborne, which is one of the biggest hits of the entire decade. In fact, he's all over that whole album, including Right Hand Man, which is my favorite song off that album. So the guy, you'll notice in this interview, he, to me, strikes me as still a very hungry artist. He believes in the power of a good song. He believes that finding that song is right around the corner. He believes in the potential for that song to change the world, to hit big. I gotta be honest, I'm more skeptical than that. I don't know that I have the same belief that he does, but I love that he has it. And I'll tell you guys, I don't always get starstruck in these interviews. I try to fight that off. I went a little Chris Farley on this one. This one meant a lot to me. I tried to fight off the Farley. I will admit it kind of creeps in a little bit there, but uh, this one meant a lot to me and I'm really grateful for Eric. He called me from his home in Philly. I always kick these things off with a little bit of a, of a story or an anecdote about how I discovered the person I'm talking to. And the Hooters are obviously, they're not that obscure. I mean, you guys had a lot of hits back in the day. I've been a fan ever since. And I've had a Hooters Greatest Hits album for many, many years. But a few months ago, I was in a Goodwill, and I found the three core albums, Nervous Night, One Way Home, and Zigzag at, at the Goodwill. And so I bought all three of them. <laughs> Yeah. And uh, and I have three little kids, ages eight, six, and three, mm-hmm. and I expose them to a ton of music, right? They hear everything. And it's very interesting to me to hear from them what stuff sort of rises above the noise, mm-hmm. you know, what stuff they start asking to hear again, what stuff they ask more questions about, what they want to go on YouTube to look into. And uh, their very favorite band is Kiss. But... Uh, <laughs> But one of the bands that captured their imagination was the Hooters. 
And so it's been really fun to rediscover you guys through their eyes. You know what I mean? Because now you've, you're not just a band that I like to have hits that I like to sing along to, but you're this band that I'm passing down now to my kids uh, who enjoy it too. You know what I'm saying? Yep. So it's been really, it's been extra special. So my oldest daughter is eight. Her name is Georgia. And I told her that I was going to be interviewing you. And mm-hmm. I said, what question do you want me to ask, Garrick? And she says, ask him why he wrote a song called Satellite about Jesus. <laughs> that was... That was my my eight-year-old's question to you. Satellite happens to be top 40 or 50, maybe, all-time favorite songs of mine. It's on my running playlist. I love it. But I, so that is Georgia's question to you. I thought we'd kick it off with that. All right. Well, first I'm going to have to break it to Georgia that it is not about Jesus. (laughs) I figured. (laughs) I have never written a song about Jesus, although wait, I did write a song called Shadow of Jesus, which was on the uh, the album after Zigzag. It was on the uh-huh. Outer Body. That's not about Jesus either. So right. satellite is not about Jesus, but if she wants to interpret it that way, that's great. The reason we wrote the song about the uh, TV evangelists mm-hmm. who talk about Jesus on TV is because we wrote it at a time when there was a lot in the in the press about them because they were getting caught in all kinds of scandals. Sure. You know, they were getting caught with their pants down and they were literally thanking quite literally and figuratively. Yeah. Yep. And we just thought that it was a little bit of a hypocrisy that we could uh, mm-hmm. have some fun with. You know, it's funny, in the context of history, that's not one of the more emotional songs for me to, to sing. In fact, I feel nothing when I sing it. Really? Um, I feel nothing. Uh, I felt nothing when I sang it then. I love the music of it. Um, right. I, I mean, I feel nothing. I feel no emotion from the lyrics that I'm singing. Because um, it's got I, such, it's got such, you know, such. A, it's so vibrant. It's so exciting. And so I wondered if is, it was just filled with a lot of anger or something was fueling nah, it was, that, wasn't it? I mean, you know, it was filled with a little bit of wow. This is really crazy. What's what you know yeah. what's going on here? But you know, I'm not going to cast the first stone. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> and, and that was yes. To quote Jesus. I'm not going to cast the first stone. I, I'm I've never been a fan of finger pointing music. Right. You know, I, I've written a couple of songs like that, and fortunately, no one's heard heard most of them. 
so it was, you know, it was us poking a little bit of fun at it, and the video was obviously yeah. really, you know, really yeah. that. Um, and and it was cool, and it worked at the time. It got us on, sure. you know, top of the pops in, in Britain. I love the music of it, and we tried to find, you know, we we wrote many versions of that of that lyric that you know trying to find something that was had had more of a of a real timeless human story, but we couldn't. Uh-huh. So so. You know, it is a little bit finger pointy, like, you know, this is what happens when commerce and, and spirituality cross over, uh, you know, and I, and that's cool. That's yeah, all right. sure. Well, and that, that was a hot topic back then. I remember those days. And just for the record, I I knew that's what the song was about, but I thought yeah. it was cute that that's what my daughter wanted. No, it's amazing. You know what I'm it's saying? It's amazing. So, anyway. You know, it's yeah. funny. Oh, go I mean, ahead, not, please. You know, just to jump, you know, into another sphere, but... You know, one of us song, song that I wrote. Um, I was going to get to that, and we'll get, and we will get to that. But just a, 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 um, with with the two questions related, people uh-huh. keep talking about you know that song you wrote about God. I didn't write that song about God. I wrote that song about the poor slob on the bus. Yeah, yeah, good point. I guess you're. Yeah, I guess that's true. I mean, it's it's so easy to misinterpret. The, yeah, the song's called One of Us. It's not called God. Yeah, very true. You know, yeah. I want to get into the details of how you got that song, worked we'll with her, that. all that kind of stuff. Sure, but, we'll get to that. And this isn't a religiously themed podcast by any means or anything. But I do think when you combine the subject matter of Satellite with the subject matter of One of Us, and I was re- I was listening to your solo albums in preparation mm. to talk to you, one of the lines in, oh, what's the what's the second, the newer one that's more, that's short, like an EP, oh, I just... Uh, Solo record? Yeah, not The Optimist, the other one. Very very dull boy. That's it. Um, there was a line in there about not believing in God, and I thought... Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, so I thought, he must have a either a lot of frustration or tension around the subject of God or the topic of religion, or maybe he's wrestling with something. Is there, is, Am I way overthinking this, that it's a common subject that might influence or come up in some of your writing? Well, it's it's been coming up, you know, for, for, for 35 years, longer yeah. really, but I mean, you know, all you zombies you know in there a little bit here and there right oh it comes in a lot um it's you know it's it's part of the human condition you know that that for some people it's a struggle for some people it's just you know pure faith Uh, you know it's just it's part of the human story it's part of the you know the evolution of the human human mind was was you know the concept of god believing in it and then questioning it 
and in yeah. the case of some, completely completely denying it, coming out the other side of it. But uh, and it's funny that that song, that's lucky to be, which is that's it. Uh, most songs that I write are are really from my perspective. That song, I kind of took on another character, which is oh really something that yeah, it's, you know that was just a guy like some some doofus who's just lucky to be there. Uh huh. And I guess that's me. That could be me. You know, huh. it's, but it's just you know throwing out you know the story of someone sure. who's like you know you know I don't got a job I you know yeah. I got this bleeding Jesus I don't even believe in God I'm just lucky to be I'm just lucky to right. exist and I'm we're all just that. lucky and we're all just lucky to be. I barely made it out of high school and I can hardly hang on to a job. I got a tattoo of a bleeding Jesus and I don't even believe in God. I'm lucky to be. My songwriting process is very. I learn. I learn a lot about myself when I write songs. That's my therapy because I. Interesting. I, I, yeah. Uh, it's a very unconscious process for me. I just you know listen for voices and sounds and and stories that that emerge. That song, really. I that's that's just. I really wrote that song to my wife. Um, oh really? A, yeah, she's a bit younger than me. She's thirteen years younger than me. Okay. Um, and you know. You know, um, you never saw the Beatles perform. They packed it in before you were born. They uh-huh. actually played their last show a month before my wife was born. <laughs> wow. Nice. And then the thing about the Stones, when I wrote that song, I've been promising her to take her to see the Stones since I met her. And uh-huh. I still hadn't I still hadn't managed to. I finally did uh, a few times. But, uh, yeah, I needed a rhyme. And the truth is, yeah, my favorite Stones are the Brian Jones songs. Of course, yeah. But, I mean, yeah, it's not fair to say they suck without Brian right. Jones. In fact, no, but that's a great line. You know, it's a great line. Thank you. It was you. a ballsy line. Yeah, I thought that was good. Good for you. Okay, so let's move back to the front, to the fun stuff. So you guys are, uh, I mean, obviously your first album comes out or more. Did that even, I mean, I didn't, I wasn't aware of that. Of course, I was young. But 
Was that something that was like widely played and released and on the radio? Because I always think of Nervous Night as basically your debut, even though I guess it's technically not. Where were you living? Where did you grow up? I grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah, so not yeah, the well, like hub. And I would have been twelve in nineteen eighty-five. Yeah. Well, see, we Amore was released locally. We did not have a national yeah, okay. distribution it. deal, so we we released that ourselves here. And, um, yeah, so I would be shocked if you had heard it. Okay, um, okay. I mean, ironically, we sold 150,000 copies of that record. Wow. Just just in our region, which, you know, yeah. nowadays is huge for a national release. Uh-huh, totally. Oh, man, people would love to sell that much. Big yep. names would love to sell that much. That's right. Yeah, crazy. So you're coming out, so Nervous Night, though, comes out. Rolling Stone names you guys, what, the... Best new band of 1985. Yeah. There's three top 40 hits off that album, right? I mean, yeah. what's that transition like from local Philly band that's making good to national acclaim? You know, we were so in it that it was it was it was all a whirlwind. You know, we were on the sure. road completely. I mean, you know, Nervous Night came out in May of '85, and June we started. Touring and we basically toured until till the end of end of eighty six. Yes, I think it was until the end of eighty six, even eighty seven. So you know we were kind of, it was all a whirlwind. Yeah. Um, now bear in mind we all, we you know Rob and I already had a window into the the, the world of of success in the music business. We had done yeah. the Cindy Lauper record. You yeah. Know, Rob had written time after time. You know we had we had created an iconic record already. So we knew that it could happen. And we so knew how involved were you in that? I mean, so I, I was going to ask you about that as well. This is thanks to your friend, Rob Chertoff, right? Rick, I hope Rick I'm getting Chertoff. all the facts. Or Rick Chertoff, Rick, I'm sorry. Rick yeah. Chertoff. He's a friend what? of yours. He brings you in to help. How, I mean, is it like we have this artist, Cindy Lauper. She's very unique. We haven't exactly figured out what we're going to do with her. Can you guys come in? and sort of help us figure that out? Or what's the call to you? Well, see, Rob and Rick and I have a very long, deep relationship. We we all went to, we went to University of Pennsylvania together. Okay. Rob and Rick were in the same class. I was three years behind them. Uh, they, they'd had a band for a number of years when I, when I got there. And they'd had a bit of success. They'd almost gotten signed. They'd almost made a record. It gotten a fair amount of notoriety locally, okay. and when I got there, that that version of the band had broken up, and they didn't have a guitar player. I was a guitar player. I was an eighteen-year-old. Uh, I was an eighteen-year-old whiz guitar player. You know, it was obvious that that Rob and Rick were the sort of the the guiding forces behind the band. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Rick was the drummer in the band, but okay. you could also see that he was really. <clears throat> He was a producer already at that point. Just his okay. his vision of music, broad stroke ideas, you know, Rob's understanding of the craft of songwriting, of musical structure. I, I learned so much from, from those guys, even back then. And then right as I graduated from, from, from Penn, Rob and Rick and David Kagan, who was the singer in, in that band, they had gotten a, a record deal with Arista, with their baby their grand with baby grand yes yeah. countdown by the telephone last dance with the radio 
Rick at that time. Rick had gotten a job for Clive Davis, so Rick had gone and stopped playing music and become a, a producer and A&R guy. Okay. He'd, he'd made a number of records already, but uh, he was given an opportunity to produce Cindy Lauper in 82. So Rick always used Rob and I to, to, to work on his project as, as much as he could. We were his A-team. So, so if you don't he, mind me interrupting real quick, so were there other there were other albums or artists that you worked with before Cindy Lauper that Rick had brought to yes, you? Was there anyone yes. of any note that we would know? Rachel Sweet. I remember that name. I don't know. She if was I sort of that world. She was like a she was kind of in the New York punk scene. Okay. She was really she was like eighteen at the time. Yeah. Um, I remember that and, name. And the and there was a and Rex Smith. Remember Rex Smith? Oh yes. Well, Rick, <laughs> well now Rick, he he. I know he's like a teenage heartthrob type guy with a lot of ballads, yep. but he yep. put out one of the best, most underrated power pop albums ever. And and the song is called uh, "Burn Your Bridges." Do you know what I'm talking about? I think he was I just don't. Rex. Okay, never I mind. Don't. Well, then this was and I don't order. think that okay. was the album, because I know Rick did an album with Rex and an album with Rachel simultaneously. Okay. And then and then he did a duet with the two of them. He had an idea, well, hey, let's do a, have a duet. Okay. So they did a cover of Everlasting Love. Hearts go astray. played on oh interesting okay sorry i just wanted to know well, if there were other no no that's a, good, that's, a, that's a good question because we already yeah we already had a bit of history with that rick had also produced an album by a guy named uh, general johnson uh which uh he was he was in the he was the guy that sang why do you build me up oh yeah sure i think that was him <laughs> oh wow and okay. I think Rob, play, I think Rob played on a bunch of that. I don't think I pl- actually played on any of that. But uh, you know, Rick, we, you know, Rick was just sort of waiting for an opportunity to bring us in. When Cindy landed on his doorstep, he had this idea to cre- create a real team around her. He also had, he started collecting songs. Part of Rick's genius is in finding songs and and matching songs with artists. Yeah. And he had a whole, he had a whole pile of songs and one of them was girls just want to have fun yeah which was originally was written by robert hazard the same guy well uh, yeah by the you know robert hazard was philadelphia guy and the song was originally a a, like a real new wave pop song i come home in the middle of the night my father Mm -hmm. says girls just want to have fun cindy heard that and she said i will never sing that song she was just not having it, but Rick was determined, and we tried every imaginable way of playing the song 
that would make Cindy see the light. And I got to say, I I had my doubts. I didn't I didn't know where it was going to go until really? one day. And, and then and then um, yes, O ye of little faith. Yeah. And then, well, and I, I again, forgive me for interrupting, but my impression when I hear the Robert Hazard version of that song, it's more of a blow off. Like ah, girls just want to have fun. Like they like it's a it's almost like a anti, not a anti woman, you know. It's not a feminist thing. anthem, that's for sure. No, it, but Cindy's singing it, and it's this well, empowerment, right. you know. But whereas with a guy singing it, it's about him being jerked around. That's how right. I hear it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so I can understand why she wouldn't think that this was meant for her or anything. But see, this was Rick's genius. He knew that yeah. there was a bridge. He knew there was a way that it could it could be empowering. And something That's that, amazing. That, and uh, you know, I, we landed on that arrangement. You know, um, uh, you know, I, rem- I, rem- I have a clear visual memory of the moment when I turned the tempo knob on the drum machine down and uh-huh. changed the, the kick drum pattern, and I picked up my guitar and I played that guitar riff. Wow! That that that, 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 yeah. that arrangement of the song was built around. So um, are you are you the guitar player on the final version that has been heard a billion times? Oh yeah, I'm the guitar player on that whole album. Oh my gosh! I mean, I knew you were featured on there, but I didn't know if it was actually like up front and center. That's, uh, that's all me. I, I, Rick Defonso played on "When You Were Mine," but otherwise, it's I think it's all me. It's all you. Yeah, I play guitar. I, I mean, I you know programmed the drum machines, which were later uh-huh. later replaced by live drums mostly. I played some bass on the record, and the bass that I didn't play were bass parts that I came up with. Uh-huh. Uh, and I played and I played sax. Really? I did. I played the sax on Yeah Yeah, and I played wow. I, I played I played the melodica on yeah. on uh, Money Changes Everything, and I sang harmonies with her on that. Wow! So you're all so over that thing. Now, we're the band. We are the band. Yeah, that record. yeah, you're the, you're the band. Yeah, that's true. Now, so again, I, I as I mentioned, money or you know. Uh, royalties, that kind of thing, is the focus of the podcast. Did you mm-hmm. have? Were you just a hired hand, and you were paid to put, perform on the album, and that was it? Or do you? Now yeah. I noticed you don't personally have a writing credit on there, but Rob does. Nope. Nope. And I do not. So do you? Do you get anything in perpetuity for that? For the huge success of that album, or are you sort of paid I, up front and you're a salaried employee? I was barely paid up front and promised I would be taken care of. Okay. And that's as that's as far as that went. Okay. Was there any jealousy or animosity toward Rob, your partner, having one well, of the biggest hits off the album? Not that you didn't make up for it later with Joan Osborne, but I mean, was no, that no, an issue no. at all? No, you know, it really wasn't because uh, you know that record really helped us helped us with the Hooters. It really, you know, it was, a, it was a feather in our cap, and it, you know, yeah, it it, it really. 
it, it did. It helped, you know, it helped us get the career we got. You know, Rob was very generous, you know, with the band and and with me on the heels of that. You know, it's funny because at one point they 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 invited me to join them in finishing that song. As I, as I recall, my recollection is they said, "Hey, do you want to help us finish it?" And I said no because I I felt like the song was already finished. You know, it was a matter of tweaking uh-huh. a couple of lyrics here and there, but the very first version of the song they played me, I I knew. I I said, "You guys just written a standard." Really? You, you've just written oh, yesterday. Man. Yeah. Wow. Oh my gosh. Now, did you tour with her too? Were you her touring no. band? Okay. Nope. And it's funny, okay. it never even came up. She never even asked us. Really? Yep. Was she, I mean, you don't have to trash talk her or we can cut this out or whatever. Did you guys become friendly? Do you ever still oh, yeah. talk to her? Or was it more just, these are people who are going to work for you right now and then you move on and that's the end of the relationship? You know, it's funny. After that record, she 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 chose not to work with us again on her next record. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's that's her prerogative. That's her right, but yeah, we 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 you know we stayed friends. We're still friends. Uh, you know, Rob, Rob's closer with her than I am. I mean, he has more sure. more of an ongoing relation. He tours with her from time to time. He okay. subs for, for he subs for her keyboard players. You know, I guess if you know Keith couldn't make it to a gig, I'd I'd sub for him. Okay. Uh, I, I you know I've done I've done the occasional gig with her, and then she'll call me out of nowhere to do some wacky thing or other. But um, no, she's okay. she's family. She's family. I mean, oh, I, good. I love her. Good. Okay. Good. good. She's a she's a nut, but I love her. Yeah, yeah, you can tell. She seems pretty awesome, though. Okay, great. Okay, so you, the success of that propels the Hooters onto their own stage. Now, I'm, so I'm curious: was there ever any temptation to bring any of the music that would come out on Nervous Night? Were any of those songs gestating and a possibility for Cindy at one point? No. Were they totally your own? These are yours. They were you totally. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, I know a lot of them appeared on Amore, but I was curious. Yeah, if, you know, they, I mean, one 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 funny aside is uh, fighting on the same side. The the original version, the Amore version. If you can. Unfortunately, it didn't make her record. That that well, sure would have been made a big difference in my life. Yeah, totally. But totally, and at yeah. the time, it was kind of like, okay, I, you know, I didn't make a big deal out of it. You know, knowing what I know uh-huh. now about the music sure. business, I would have fought for it. I would have said, well, let's, you know, what is it that's wrong? Is it the wrong key? Let's, you know, let's get a better vocal. Yeah. You know, but you know, at the time, I was just okay, whatevs. Huh. Wow. Yeah. Who knew? Right. Yep. Yep. Who knew she'd become. So big. Okay. 
So then you're launched on your own, on all on your own, and you're a buzz band on MTV. You're playing on the VMAs. I remember that. Very unique sound, right? I've made my career. We've made our career on on making stuff that doesn't sound like anything else. It's very true. Yeah. You know, when that Cindy record came out, nothing sounded like that. Yeah. You know, when All You Zombies came out, certainly when Emily Dance came out with that intro, like, what the yep. heck is this? Yeah. So, you know, I remember that's... it well. producers and they're all chasing after you know the latest trend and well you know this is working on the radio now so let's sound like this and i don't want any part of it no i'm like no. you know and they're, they're telling me, you know you had those those huge hits you know what it's like i said yeah i know it's like those huge hits didn't sound like anything else that's why no. they were huge hits that's right success came to you guys that's no. what made you so unique and so kind of special at the time right there weren't really other bands especially not you know focusing on a melodica and amanda lynn and all those things you guys were doing at the time. But still, you managed I mean, to write great pop songs. Well, you know, it really kind of all comes down to, like, the you know, the song. Yeah. You know, a, hit, a hit song is a, is a hit song, and that's, you know, it's a it's a, an intangible and an unpredictable. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's not just the song. It's all the planets lining up. It's the song. It's the sound of the record. It's the timing of the record. Very true. You know, yeah. you know I mean, we got, we got lucky. I mean, we could have gotten luckier. You know, we never had, uh-huh. we, we never, we never cracked the top 10. Yeah, that's true. I guess so. Uh, those, those, I mean, especially, and we danced though. That, I mean, that, that, that wasn't 21. even your biggest hit, but that's, yeah. I, I was reading that and because day by day charted higher. Give me what you can tonight.
But I think, yep. and we danced. There's a more. I love both those songs, so I'm not criticizing one or the over the other. I'm just saying it seems like, and we danced is more of a song you would still hear today. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm I saying? Mean, more readily than you would day by day. There's way more meat on that bone. Yeah, yeah. Well said. Yeah, meat on that bone. I mean, so I, I, I'll draw a really, really like you know, unrealistic analogy, but but. Um, if if uh, and we danced as I want to hold your hand, then day by day is if she loves you. That's true. Yeah, yeah, that's true, man. So what's the uh, okay? I'm, I'm. This is something I read recently. I didn't know about already. If this is sensitive, please tell me. What's the Live Aid story? The Live Aid story is that we were on the road with uh, with uh, Don Henley, our first little taste of touring, and we heard that we were going to play Live Aid. Well, it made sense. Uh, it was in Philadelphia, right? Yep, it was the the U.S. show was in Philadelphia, and our manager had uh, had uh, finagled with uh, with uh, Larry Maggot, who's the local promoter. He got you know got us on the bill to open the show. So uh, but this what, did not make Bob Geldof happy, apparently. Well, I see. I don't know. I don't know how happy or unhappy it made him. I, I do know that according to Rolling Stone, he said, who the fuck are the Hooters? And you know what? Right. If I were Bob Geldof and I saw the lineup of, of the, the, the uh, Philadelphia show and a band that I'd never heard of was on there, I probably would have said, who the fuck are the Hooters? Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, that happened. Um, yeah. And, yes, he chose to omit us from the DVD, which he released when, uh, whenever that was, uh, 2000, that was probably 2005. Probably yeah, 2005, yeah. Probably, you know, he chose to admit us, you know, I don't think he chose it as a personal, he, he, I don't think he made that choice as a personal vendetta. I think he just didn't, you know, it was his choice to make. Yeah. You know, I guess he I, figured I, you guys weren't high profile enough or something. I, you know, honestly, I've never seen the DVD. I don't know who was, who was on and who was left off. Yeah. I don't know if anybody, you know, and, and honestly, I don't care. Yeah. It happened 20 years earlier. You want to see yeah. the Hooters on Live Aid? Go on YouTube. Yeah, right, right. Was that Did that feel like as big a moment while it was happening as it, it's become? It was surreal. It was surreal. And it was, you know, you know it, first of all, it was 9 o'clock in the morning. We, You know, I, I got picked up in my apartment at 6.30 in the morning. You know, we were basically underground until an elevator took us up on the stage. It was like uh, the Hunger Games. Yeah, yeah. That's what it was like. You know, wow. all, of a sudden, all of a sudden, we get out, get out of this elevator, and there's 120,000 people. Wow. And we played, and we played two songs. We had no sound check, and we played two songs. Wow. And then that, did you stick around for much of the rest of the day to see other bands? I stuck around, I stuck around for a few, couple of hours. Then I went home. Yeah. I went okay. home, watched it on TV because it was hot. I watched it on TV, and then I went back down for the finale. Oh wow! Wow. Well, you were there for history, right? I mean, that's got to feel yep. good. Yeah, yeah. That was it. Was awesome. It's the biggest show that ever was. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. I was curious. I just I had read that about Geldof. I didn't read it back at the time. I read it recently, and I thought I wondered how that sits with you. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, have I, a healthy perspective about it, though. You know, and ironically, a week after it was released, he opened for us at a show in Germany. He did? Bob did? Yeah, he did. He opened for us. 
And I, I just, I, I, we, we, we crossed paths only once very briefly, and he kind of sheepishly said, hello. Uh-huh. Right. So he, he, he knows he was a bad boy. Yeah, he knows, yeah. He knows he wet the bed. That's <laughs> true. Oh, good. Good for you, man. Okay, good. So three albums and you guys sort of fade away. Was that forced? Was that by choice? Why well, did you guys kind of go away? I mean, I well, know we the albums were selling the same, but... Well, see, let me put a more global perspective on it. Um, that Zigzag came out, and it was a regime change at Columbia at the time, and we we kind of lost our seat at the table, um, not, you know, and the album basically just you know was stillborn in the United States. However, in Europe, specifically Scandinavia and Germany, 500 Miles was a smash. Really. If you miss the train, I'm on. So I had no idea went, you guys were still as big in Europe, by the way. I, yeah. I, I imagined it ending around 1990, basically. But yeah, no, most people think that we transitioned to Europe. Most people think we broke up then. No, no, exactly. It transitioned to Europe. You know, we had, I, I, we, we were on tour uh, in, in, I must have been like March of 90. No, it was April. It was April of 90. I remember that because it was Rob's birthday. And we were having a, a miserable time. You know, we'd gone from from you know opening for Loverboy and Brian Adams and stealing the show uh-huh. in, in arenas every night to playing in you know a, a heavy metal club in a strip mall that was advertised wrong in, in Dallas. Really? Yeah, yeah, it was it was really wow. You know, and you know, and of course, you know, we we weren't getting along. We were yeah. like, arguing. Sure. We were fighting. And that leg of the tour ended in the U.S. We had a few days off, and we got on a plane, went to Stockholm. And we went to the, the concert house in Stockholm to play there. It was sold out, and it was magical. Every, really? They knew every note, every word of every song from that album and all of the albums. And it was like we were reborn. It was like, okay, this is where the future is for us. Did you have any idea? I mean, I don't know how detailed you were getting on like your bank statements or whatever, but are you, oh, know, I- are you hearing that you guys are huge over there? No, because well, I mean, it was it was just getting for it was already just Scandinavia. By, okay. See, already, you see, already in '87, '88, um, Johnny B was huge in Germany.
didn't tour Europe at all on Nervous Night. There wasn't really any action on it there. The only place there was action outside of the U.S. and Canada, believe it or not, was Australia. Really? Huh. All You Zombies was number one in Australia. Wow. We actually flew to Australia for four days before Christmas 85. We did two shows. We did a show in Sydney and one in Melbourne. Um, we received our platinum records on the Molly Meldrum show. He was like the Dick Clark of Australia. Oh, wow. uh, we, we, we were on the show with, uh, with Tina Turner. And I thought, this is it. We are moving to Australia. Yeah. This is where our future is. Really? But that was it. But that was it for us. And we danced. I don't think it ever came out. We never had another. We never had another success there. Wow. Um, but but then in eighty seven, eighty eight, Johnny B was was huge in Germany, and big enough in Scandinavia to get us you know, to get us there. We did a show in Oslo. We did a show in Stockholm, and we had a real audience. It was you know they were really sold out shows in in, in respectable clubs. Uh huh. And. Um, we went back and toured Germany some more in 88 and things were feeling good there. Yes. My bank statements by 90, I, you know, already felt like I, you know, I'd, I'd stepped into a world that I wasn't going to be able to stay in for very long uh-huh, unless uh-huh. something happened. But, uh, you know, fortunately Scandinavia happened and, and Germany wow. continued. So we toured, a, we toured a fair amount in 90 and then we came off the road and said we're going to write another album and put it out quickly. But uh, what also happened during that time was that the writing was on the wall that our days at Columbia were numbered, and so and we also made an executive decision that it was time to uh, move away from Rick. We just felt like as much as we loved him, that for whatever reason it, the the collaboration was stagnating. Okay. Interesting. Um, we just was wanted he being to try something else. Toward other artists that were having more success, or was it just not just things relationships were, not growing? It, not yeah, growing it, it just felt like things were. It was taking longer and longer to get stuff done, and it just wasn't. Okay. You know, we, we we just we weren't getting the job done, uh, okay. and and we couldn't fire ourselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know. We and you know and we we never expected it to be the end of our relationship. It was just we wanted to try something else. So you know, long story short, it took two years for us to leave Columbia, find and write write a batch of songs, um, get re-signed to MCA, and find a producer. We we decided to do the record with Joe Hardy, who was uh, in Memphis. So '92, we went down and we did what became the Out of Body record, which you probably don't even know about. I didn't. I don't know that one. It's not on Spotify, and it's, it's kind a, of obscure. It's, any of the, it's never been released digitally, and every night I go to bed thinking, tomorrow I'm going to contact whoever I have to at Universal to get that record out. <laughs> is that what it takes? Is a phone call, and it's just it hasn't probably been done is yet? just a phone call, yeah. Yeah, in fact, someone who knows about these things said to me, you know what, just put it out yourself. Yeah. They'll never even, they'll, they won't even care. But I, I, I want to give them at least give them the opportunity to. I know right. it's ridiculous, but yeah, there's a whole album called Out of Body. It's a really good. It's a really good record. We actually had a, a big hit in, in in Scandinavia from that record, which was a duet with Cindy. Oh, really? Was, we did a duet. It was called uh, Boys. Boys will be boys. With every step I take, I get one step. 
our musical tastes seem to be pretty similar. Uh-huh. And um, we jammed a bit, and we started a couple of songs that became, I think, Dra- I think Dracula Moon was actually the first one. And really? I, I think Pen- and I think Pensacola, or, or St. Teresa. But those, those germs came very early on. Huh. And again, you don't, I mean, she's, she's young, she's new. You're not going yeah. into this thinking, you just found somebody that you click with. Yeah. And so why not create art together? You're yeah, not going in with like dollar signs on your, on your eyes. That all nope. just is a byproduct, a fortunate byproduct of this merger, right? Well, you know what? It's a fortunate byproduct of, 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 of making of music. Yeah, true. Of, of, yeah. Yes, of, of anything. Yeah, uh, you well, know, so you know, we did have the the benefit of you know Rick having an imprint at a major label, mm-hmm. which at the time really meant something. So that was like March '93. It was right around the time when when uh, Out of Body was coming out. So Out of Body yeah. comes out, and it does well in Germany. It does really well in Scandinavia, but at the same time, Colombia in Germany, Sony, I guess it was just Sony in Germany, decides to release Hooters' greatest hits. Oh, okay. So we start touring Germany supporting in support of uh, Out of Body, but the record that's selling is our greatest hits record. Yeah, weird. And has, and your, course, has American interest just completely dried up? Because that's one of the things that I found while I was kind of researching you is that if you guys were getting back together to play live, it was either a, hand, a small handful of shows on the East Coast or you were doing a bunch of stuff in Europe. Yeah. And being yeah. a guy from the West who would have killed if you had come through Salt Lake City or now Denver, you guys never come over here that I can see anyway, right? We don't. And, you know, it's heartbreaking. It's really heartbreaking. But for us to do that, you know, we have a show that we do. Uh-huh. And to do that show, we got to sell X number of tickets. We got to make X number huh. of dollars, and we just can't do that in the United States. That's you know, if we played in Denver, maybe we'd get a couple hundred people. I, I would think if they're not a package tour, like I, I'll give you an example. I was in Salt Lake City last week for a wedding, and speaking of the Bodines, they were playing like two or three nights in Park City, and they come through here all the time. And they don't—they weren't as successful as you. I mean, I lumped—I lumped you two together because you were both sort of similar yeah. sounds, similar time. But you were way bigger than them. We, Yet they we, make we, it work. Are you not able we, to make it work? It's, you know, there's a lot of parts in that car. We haven't been able to make it work. And we've had people approach us, yeah. you know, can, can we make it work? And then they do the math and, we're, no, we're not. I mean, you know, if we wanted to grind it out, you know, and yeah. get in the van yeah. and lose money for, for a couple of years and then, you know, m- maybe, you know, have a career, you know, doing packages yeah, maybe, but you know, instead we go to we go to Europe for for, for every yeah. summer, and then you can and knock we, it out. Yeah. And we play you real festivals and real venues, and yeah, yeah. You know, uh, you know. Look, I would love to have a redemption tour in the U.S. Sure. Well, I'm just but, I'm surprised you can't play like I don't know eight shows every three or four years in like eight bigger markets. You know, well, Chicago, Houston, L.A., whatever. And, but in those um, bigger markets, we'd be we would be playing at little at tiny venues in those big markets. Really, oh, that's a shame. We put out a record in two thousand eight. Uh, yeah, 
Um, good one. I listen to it. I like it. It's a really good one. It's it's really yeah. good. In some ways, it's my maybe my second favorite. You know, that record came out in in, in Europe in 2007. Came out here in, in 08, and we, we you know we tried to make that work. We played in New York. We played in uh, we played in uh, Metro DC, and you know we had like 200 people. Really? Yeah. Uh, that bums me out. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, it, it's the way it is. Now, look, if we had managed things differently, if we had maintained a presence, if we had forced ourselves to continue biting the bullet and touring the U.S. all through through the '90s and 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 the aughts, then things would be different. But that's not what happened. Yeah, Europe was our safety yeah. net. Yeah, you know, and we toured Europe through '95. I mean, on on between Out of Body and and Hooters Greatest Hits, and then Hooters Greatest Hits too. Which oh, they put out a year later, you know. We we had uh, the most successful tour of our career in Germany and Scandinavia, ninety three, ninety four, ninety five. Wow! And then we came back. We came back from that, and we got to, actually got signed to to uh, to Rick's label, to Blue Gorilla, mm-hmm. uh, and expected to make another Hooters record, but that just didn't happen. We yeah. kept trying to. We couldn't finish any songs. No. Yeah. Well, um, but what about now? Is that because your all of your energy is going toward Joan? No, time? no, no. We were done with Joan. I mean, Joan. You know, Joan. Oh, okay. We, Joan, we did Joan in '94. I mean, we made that okay. record. You know, we made that record basically. You know, February, March of 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 '94, April. We finished. Yeah. Okay. We finished mostly in in April '94, and yeah. um, and went back to Europe. Oh, wow. Um, so, no, I mean, not, you know, nothing was taking any energy from us. But, you know, Rob and I had been working together nonstop, nose to nose for 15 years at that point. Yeah. The Beatles' entire career lasted 10 years. <laughs> True. True. You know, just for a little bit of perspective. So, yeah. you know, we're pushing and pulling and I'm going one way. He's going another way. And you know, we're, you know, Rick Rick comes in, and you know, his job as you know mediator, he's trying to find a common thread, and the common thread that he and he and Rod found a common thread, and it was called Largo. Oh, the hills are full of spirits, and they walk when night comes round. And they speak to who they choose to when the moon is shining down. And Ramona loves the orchard, and Liza loves the pine. And Cyrus in the moonlight loves the flowing of the wine. Spotify. Yeah, it's called Largo, and the artist, I guess, is called Largo also. But uh, it, it was supposed to be a Hooters record, and it was based on 
the the journey of Antonin Dvorak through the through uh, the United States in 1890, whatever. Wow. And and you know where he found American music and folk music. They had a real clear concept on it, and I just didn't understand what that concept was. Yeah. Okay. And they said it was a lyrical concept, and I really didn't understand the lyrical right. concept. Okay, musically, okay, I can see that. That's kind of where we where we are, but. Anyway, it it ended up not being a Hooters record. I I was the one that sort of pulled the plug there because I said this is not doesn't sound anything like the vibrant rock band that I'm right. in. So this you can call this whatever you want, but don't call it a Hooters record. Okay. Yeah, and, I'm looking at it. I've never heard of this thing. Yeah, I mean it's it's I'll check it out. It's a it's a beautiful beautiful record. It's just and not a they, Hooters record. It's not a Hooters record. Uh, I don't yeah. understand it. Maybe if I'd gone to grad school, I'd understand it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> you know, and, and 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 you know, ironically, it's a record w- that came on the heels of you know my my biggest hit ever, and I'm sure uh, uh, you know. I, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I doubt, I doubt, I'm, I doubt that I'm going to write another. I'm, I I won't say that I won't write a better song, but I won't write a song that will be as ubiquitous as one of us, which was a totally lyric-driven song. I did not write a word of lyric on the Largo record. Yeah. Yeah, so let's, now, I mean, you've got to be, not to sound indelicate or anything, you got to be flush with cash after Relish takes off. I mean, all the hits. You're a writer or co-writer on those. Not to, I did okay. Maybe, I mean, but I mean, so does this, I mean, I assume today you still make your living off of music in some form or another, whether mm-hmm. that's your tours of Europe with the Hooters or residuals from things you've written I would imagine you've never written anything bigger than one of us whether that was Hooters or anything else that still I've has actually, to that's got oh did you have a bigger thing I've well I mean it's funny cause, well that you know I told the the Ricky Martin recording of uh, oh um, yeah see I guess I just need to be a bigger Ricky Martin fan to know all that <laughs> or, or a more fully informed Hooters fan because you know, yeah, yeah tried, maybe. Uh, and the story with that was after one of us happened, a lot of doors opened up for me, and one of those doors was named Desmond Child. Oh, you know, the you know, Desmond Child, yeah, of yeah. course. So Desmond finds me, hunts me down, loves one of us, loves the lyric sensibility, loves the the guitar sound, the guitar playing, and wants to write a song with me for an artist named Billy Myers that he's. Yeah, oh, yeah, sure. Kiss so, the rain. Is yeah, that it? Well, yeah. Well, that's my name's on that. That one too. Not only my name on it, I played everything on that track besides the drums. You did? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay, so "Kiss the Rain" is you too. That's amazing. Yeah. So, so Desmond calls me, hunts me down, 
And I said, he wanted me to go to London. And I said, well, I, I'd love to, but I actually have to go to France. I'm doing a songwriting camp at a castle in France. Why don't you come? Uh, which was the same conversation I'd had with Carol King the week before when I met her. Oh, wow. oh my God. So I went to this songwriting camp and there's Carol King, Desmond Child, uh, Mark Hudson. I don't know if you know who he is, but he's, he's a, mm. an icon as well. Miles My, Copeland, it was his castle and he, sure. he ran okay. the camp. Uh, Rob, Rob came as well. I mean, it was just, it was just this superstar Wow. Super, uh, you know, and it culminated, uh, our last night there happened to be Carol's birthday, and I'm sitting next to her playing guitar while she sings You've Got a Friend. No way. That was no way. Awesome. I mean, you have to have feel, felt like this is kind of the beginning of the second chapter of your career. Totally. you entered I, like a sort of hallowed halls of songwritery, right? It did, but but it did, but you know what? what made me feel that? was not the recognition it was writing one of us yeah it was yeah. writing one of us and 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 making that record and feeling like i nailed it i yeah. captured my my world view in that song and the, and and the sound of that record that's me playing guitar the way i play guitar so you that's knew when you voice. wrote it before it became the hit that it was you thought this is me to a t this is exactly i knew it was me to I a t yep okay. it, yes it absolutely was uh, and then when I heard Joan sing it, which was the day after I wrote it, like literally 12 hours after I wrote it, I heard her sing it. I, I knew it was going to be a hit. Oh, my gosh. That's got to be such a surreal moment. And then the it fact that surreal. that song still lives on. Well, that's pretty pretty awesome. Actually, it's funny. There, there, there's a TV series in Sweden called The History of a, of a Hit Song, and they're doing a uh, an episode. A, 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 um, really? They're doing one on... They're doing one on that song, yeah. They 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 brought a film crew over here, a TV crew over here last uh, last spring, wow. and uh, interviewed me and my wife because my my wife is Swedish. And oh really? Re- okay. Yeah, and she's the reason I wrote that song. Oh man. She asked me to show her how I record a piece of music, so I said, okay, here I've yeah. got a guitar riff. Yeah, I'll, I'll make a track out of this guitar riff, and I made a track, and she said, sing it, and I said, okay, and that's what I sang. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh! Wow, <laughs> you know it's that's so it's, mind blowing. It's so my it's still mind blowing to me, and that's still how I work. Well, I'm really happy for you. I mean, you deserve all this, man. You you obviously proved before when you were at the Hooters that you were an incredible songwriter. And does it ever? I mean, does it bother you at all that other people are having gigantic hits with things you wrote? Would do you wish at all that it had been you personally? You know, first of all, one of us, it had to be her singing it. Yeah. You know, I mean, I've, I've, I finally found my voice and I can finally sing that song and deliver it. But I heard it at the end of the optimist. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Throw it in there as a bonus. Well, that is me literally writing the song. If God had a name, what would it be and would you call it to his face if you were faced with him in all his glory what would you ask if you had just one question yeah yeah god is great yeah 
That is me singing singing with no idea what I was going to sing. So that's not some re-recorded thing where you're like, I'm reclaiming what I wrote. That, that was is my like demo. literal, that's a that's demo what, of that? That's what I played for, for Rob and, and Rick and Joan the next day. Wow, that's a little piece of history. i got to go back and hear that again. And that's what, and after that, and you know, after, after the, the, the track ended, Rick said, Joan, do you think you could sing that? No way. No way. That's how well, it happened. Let me ask you one other question. What happened to Joan? Like, you know, she had it all, and then she kind of disappeared. Well, you know, that's just the way it went. Mm. I mean, we're still we're still friends. I love Joan. She's Joan still. Was, I mean, she hasn't lost anything as a singer. Oh my Did god! Did you see that that uh, standing on the shadows of standing in the oh, shadows of Soka? called her I called her I left a voicemail for her from the theater while I was watching it because of that she started coming down here again and we started writing songs and then in 2003 and 4 we made a, another album with her we got the the old team together we got oh. Rick and, we got Rick and, and and Rob and we made uh the album that became Little Wild One which came out I th- think finally came out in 2007 looking at it right here let's see and it's a great album but it doesn't have it doesn't have one of us you know we kept hoping yeah. that one of us that if one of us that someone would get lucky and write that so i kept saying to rob you know you know it's been um 10 years for me it's been 20 years for you maybe it's your turn yeah yeah uh, but well and but, i you know, you know people lose heat too i wonder about this sometimes maybe you can you know explain this to uh, you know, even if you had written a song as good, and I don't know if you did, as good as one of us, the heat had sort of dissipated off Joan, unfortunately, to such a degree that it may not even have the same effect. You know what you I mean? The song today is very different than it was 20 years ago. Well, you know what? But a song like Girls Just Want to Have Fun or Time After Time or One of Us, that's not different. Songs yeah, like that, okay. they, yeah, live, right. they live in another, that lives in another another yeah. sphere. Yeah, and you're right. 
you know, the right song we, will transcend all yep. of that, right? Yeah. Okay. And, and we were hoping for that. We were praying for that. And man, we were working for that. Really? Yeah. We we yeah. really we gave it our best shot, and we made a you know list. I mean, it's a really it's really good listening. It's, it's a, okay. You know, it's a, I'll go back and check it out. I didn't know that you were on that one. Okay. Yep. Yep. That's that's um, the whole team. Okay. So then, so I'm right in assuming that basically for the last 20 years, I mean, you became, I'm sure, pretty well situated after one of us and the other hits off that album. You can pretty much do what you want. And from then on, you do a couple solo albums, probably without the expectation that they sell millions more just to satiate your own artistic needs, right? Well, um, the op- you know, I mean, the optimist... I kind of hoped that I'd get a little bit of traction with that. And at that point, I kind of thought that other people would do it for me. And mm. I guess they tried, but they didn't. And I didn't, I was busy doing other stuff. You know, I was always working with, with, with other artists. I just kind of dropped the ball on it. Huh. You know, I, I could, you know, I tried, I could have tried harder. I should have tried harder. I should have, I should have, you yeah. know, gotten, gotten back in the van and played, up and down the East Coast and, and you know started it up again, but yeah. I, but I didn't for whatever reasons I didn't, and it's a shame because to me that album that album is that is my defining piece of work. Seriously, the Optimist. Yep, that, yep, yep. To me, for me personally, that's like that's my. That's story. everything you want to say, right there. That's my story, you know. Although right now I'm, I think I'm seven twelfths of the way through my next defining moment. <laughs> Are you put, you're working on another solo album, I take it? Well, I wasn't, but then, you know, I, I'm always writing and recording stuff for, for, for fun, for the hell of it. But, uh-huh. but um, about a month ago, I wrote a song with David, our, the, David Wasikin, our, our drummer. Um, uh-huh. We just we, we started jamming and, you know, he was here and, you know, all of a sudden there was a song and he was really kind of cheering me on. And I said, you know what? This is a co-write. You're a writer on this. I mean, I wrote it. I wrote the words and I wrote the music, but he was the one that let you know. I I, wow, I really like that, and you know, why don't you you know go there instead? And uh-huh. you know, that's collaboration at its best. Um, yeah, yeah. And and I, we finished it. Uh, he left. No, he left, and I finished it. Then I mixed it, and I sent it to a friend of mine at WXPN, which is. Uh-huh. Do you know that station? Do you know sure. that station? Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Definitely. Well, well, uh, you know, it's. Um, I sent it to very, a, it's a trend-setting, very taste-making yeah, radio. It's station. the flagship station for the in totally. AAA format. Yeah. So definitely. I, I sent it. I sent it to Dan Reed, who's uh, one of my friends there, and and uh, he emailed me back. He said, "I'm going to play this today." Really. So he played it twice in a row. No way. He played it twice in a row. He said, and he and he, you know, he 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 gave this speech about me that if I believed half of it I'd be you know I'd be looking in the mirror kissing myself in the mirror yeah yeah but but uh and then I got an email from from the program director saying we're going to make this the gotta hear song of the week no way so but I I mean it's not tied to an album or anything right is it at least a digital download someone could buy no it's on it's it's on iTunes it's on Spotify and it's under your name yep Eric Brazilian okay and um yeah it's called uh, it's called call your name whenever i'm feeling lonely if ever i'm feeling blue 
know, it's funny because, you know, this is one that really kind of wrote itself. Uh, I, the, the words are kind of like, uh, I actually took on a character when I wrote it. I, my, the, my original vocal track, I sang it like a British punk. Uh-huh. And it's kind of cooler like that, but, and I tried okay. to get Dan to play that version, but he said, nah, it, it's got to be you, singing like you. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, so I did that one, and then I did another one, and I sent it to Dan, and he started playing that one, too. Wow. Okay. So I'm going to check him out. I've seen him right here. There, actually, the two of them, there's that one, and then uh, I just put up another one called uh, Before I Before Forgot, I How, I to forgot Dream. How to Dream. Yeah. That one just that one just went up today. And, Seriously? But I'm not, wow. Yeah, but but I'm not announcing it. I'm not tw- you know tweeting about it until okay. until the, until the it, it shows up on iTunes, which will okay. be another couple of days, because I okay. at least want to be able to get a you know, a couple of downloads rather than the micro pennies. Yeah. Streams. But, uh, yeah. yeah, no kidding. But in the meantime, I've done seven, David and I have done seven tracks. Wow. So you're on your way to another I'm on my way. solo album. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just time. Yeah. But, but the, yeah. but the, I mean, the, I spent five years making the optimist off and on. And that's really got, you know, that tells that, that tells a story. Yeah, it does. My favorite song on there is "Ugly." By the way. Oh, thank you. Well, yeah. actually, it's fun. There's there's another version of that that John Bon Jovi recorded on his solo record. If you're ugly, I'm ugly too. In your eyes, the sky is a different blue. If you could see yourself like others. Really? Huh. Yep. Very, very different. Um, yeah, I can imagine. The one that he did was the, 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 I mean, no, the song itself is very different. I, the, I originally wrote the song for my wife when she was pregnant with our first child. Huh. Because she said she felt ugly, so I wrote a song about, well, if you're oh, ugly, wow. I'm ugly too. If you're yeah. a nut, then I must be a screw. If you could see yourself like others do, you'd wish you were as beautiful as you. Nice. Man, you so I wrote that. Words. And you. then John, well, when I, you know what? When I get I get lucky sometimes. You yeah, know? yeah. You, you know, you, you go fishing enough, you're going to catch a big one. Yeah, yeah. So John, I had done some writing with John and Desmond. You know that uh-huh. that the, the the Billy Myers thing with Desmond just you know opened up a whole world with him. Sure. You know, we've been collaborating ever since. But uh, he, uh, John and Desmond and I spent five days writing songs in a hotel in in Dublin. And no then a way. few months later, yeah, that's pretty cool. Wow. Nothing actually came of that. But then, but then John came to, to see me do a writers in the round show at the bottom line in New York. And I had just written that song. I played it and he called me a couple of days later and he said, you know, I think I could do that song. I'd like to record that. So mm. we, uh, we ended up cutting it with him, but then Crazy. I, I told, it's a completely different song from the one that's on 
I'll get around to this. I'll go check it out. I, your your version rocked. That's what I liked about yeah. it. Um, oh, I love the banjo on that. That was just yeah. such a, a serendipitous thing. Well, look, I find you to be an inspiring songwriter, and I've gotten a lot of joy from you throughout my life. And now I'm especially excited because my kids seem to like you as much as I do. Cool. And so it's fun to rediscover and reimmerse myself in the Hooters, and now your all your other stuff too, which I was less familiar with, you know, leading up to this. But uh, you're a great artist to immerse yourself in. I had a blast. This was great. Chords and some words that maybe rhyme the same three chords. There you have it, Eric Bazilian. I love that guy's music. I hope you guys were reminded of what an incredible band the Hooters were, and I hope that you were turned on by some of the newer music that we played there. In fact, the song that you're listening to now, in Sweden, he has a musical partner over there, and they have put out an album under the name Bazillion Western. And it's really good. And it's just in keeping with all the other kind of hallmarks of that great Hooters sound. I love it. It may be hard to find, but try and find it if you can, because it's great. There's just so much music of his that I, I consider myself a fan. I didn't even know of some of this stuff. Anyway, that meant a whole lot to me. I really love that guy. Please find us on Facebook, The Hustle Podcast. Like our page. We can stay in contact that way. You can email me at thehustlepod at gmail.com. Tell me people you want me to try and track down. You can find us on Twitter, at The Hustle Pod. Most of all, find us on iTunes, subscribe to the podcast, and write us a review. Those are the huge ones. Please do that. If you like hearing stories about musicians that maybe you loved back in the day, maybe you've never heard of them, but you like hearing rock and roll stories, subscribe to us. That's what we're doing here. Also, YouTube. Type in the Hustle Podcast Playlist. There's a ton of videos that pertain to the guests who have been on this show. In fact, you could go into the archives and listen to some of our old episodes if you're new to us. Anyway, stay in contact with us however way you want. Huge thanks to Yan Makevich, Yan the man, for producing this podcast. We're so grateful for him. We love you all. Thanks, everybody. See you next week. Reward for these three chords, for these three.